This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Even when bad things happen or things are not going the way that they were planned, there's always something you can learn from. and Things will turn out for the better. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds, that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great fortune of having Timothy Dick with me today. Tim, how are things? You're in Cali? Yeah, yeah. I'm in uh, Southern California in uh, Orange County in Irvine. Beautiful. It doesn't rain in Southern California, does it? No, no. I kind of I kind of wish it did sometimes, though. You know, it's uh, it's, it's pr- a pretty rare sight. And it's always funny to me that uh, whenever it does, uh, you see a lot of people like at office parks and stuff just running outside just to like get in the rain and play in the rain a little bit. You know, especially the last few years, it's just not very common. (laughs) (laughs) So if the listeners love what you have to say, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Sure. Um, I'm pretty much on all social media. Uh, They can find me, Timothy Dick, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere there, or timothydick.com. You know, we'll have links to everything. Or my company's website is ProfitLayer.com. Dot com. Beautiful. So for you guys who don't know, you've kind of been on a rock. Tim's a big deal, guys. He's had some successful exits. He's built some pretty big companies. And I don't like stealing the thunder. Tim, I'd like for you to share kind of your background and what you're most excited about in your own words. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to to be here with you and to uh you know, talk to your listeners and, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, inspire some people to uh, take action and, you know, get uh, a little bit of a view of some of the things that, that I've been through and, you know, that I see on the inside, you know, that so that uh, people can anticipate, uh, you know, what's coming and know that it's normal. 
So how did you how did you get started? Where where did it all begin, and then where'd you grow to? So you know, I always go back because uh, I think going back to uh, you know kind of the the quick uh, childhood story kind of ties in with a lot of things because I think it shaped my mindset and the way that I approach a lot of things. Um, and so I was actually born and raised in a very, very rural, small town in West Virginia. It's very, uh, in a way, kind of a stereotypical, you know, West Virginia family. You know, my dad uh, is a coal miner. He's retired now, but, you know, he was a coal miner and worked in uh, uh, sawmills and coal mines. Uh, generationally, that was, uh, you know, came from a family of coal miners. Uh very small town, you know, so to give you an idea, like my high school, maybe a hundred people, you know, I mean, very small, you know, and so obviously being a very rural area, you know, and coming from, you know, uh, a family that I would say was, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a typical uh, middle-class family, you know, we had always had, you know, the essentials, everything we needed, not a lot else in terms of extras and you know it was uh so had a good childhood but not uh we didn't have a lot of uh extra stuff beyond the the essentials you know my parents did a great job but you know there's only so much money and uh you know coal mining and salt and we're getting sawmill so you know what really happened in in terms of the short version is you know, at a very young age, uh, middle school, I started, well, I got on the internet, started discovering all this opportunity on the internet and realizing that there was a lot more out there than, you know, what there was locally. And, you know, there were different lifestyles and, you know, there was just more to the world, um, even though, you know, West Virginia was a great place, uh, you know, and a lot of great people. Um, I just wanted something different, something more. And so uh, I had never been, I, you know, no one in my family had ever went to, to college or anything like that. You know, so that was kind of uh, something that just my family was just kind of very realistic that, you know, it was like, you know, you're probably going to follow the same path, you know, and not uh, not go to college, not do anything, you're going to be a coal miner. I ended up kind of, I didn't take the college path that I almost did, but in middle school, I got on the internet, uh, found all this opportunity, started my first business in middle school, and it kind of took off. And I made, there's never been a year since I was, I guess, 13, 14, whatever I was in middle school, that I've made less than six figures. So, you know, here I was in middle school doing self-taught computer repair that I just learned online. I had a really simple philosophy with that. You know, I thought I'm pretty good at this and pretty good at figuring things out and researching. And if I can't solve someone's problem, then I just won't charge them for it. So, you know, that kind of works. And being in a small town, you know, there wasn't really anyone else that did that sort of thing. So I started computer repair and that led into self-taught web design. And this was back in the day, like, you know, we're talking like late 90s, you know, so this was, uh, you know, when 
kind of like right at the peak of the dot-com bubble. Um, you know, if you could make a website that had text that moved or sound or something, I mean, you could charge, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for it very easily. So I started getting a lot of those clients and, you know, I heard, I was still in middle school, you know, just doing my thing. I was just basically outside of school business really was my focus. So looking back, you know, in middle school and high school, I did probably miss out on some of the more traditional stuff. You know, I didn't play any sports or anything like that beyond a one year short stint in the uh, high school band, uh, marching band playing the trumpet. Didn't really want to continue that after a year. Uh, It was just hectic with a lot of events and stuff. But I just kept going, you know, with the businesses. And so website design, you know, led into web hosting because if for anyone doesn't know, web hosting is kind of like the server and internet connection that your website is is on. That's kind of so when someone goes to it, they're connecting to that server through the internet. And uh, I loved web hosting because it was recurring income. So I like the fact that you could set it up and then you didn't have to continue to start from zero every month. You could build it up. So, I I mean, I was just having fun and I really saw it as my way out, you know, of the traditional lifestyle in West Virginia. And again, you know, great people, a lot of uh, great things there, but for me, like I just wanted something, something bigger, something different. And, you know, that's really, uh, that's really kind of how I got started. So it was a, it was a crazy time. My parents didn't know what to think because there's money orders showing up all the time. Like, and I'm like, you know, 13, 14, 15, you know, and there's like all this money, you know, coming in and they, they're just like, I hope what you're doing is not illegal. And, you know, like, what why do you why is it that you go on the computer and then there's like money just like shows up and stuff and they didn't because they weren't computer users you know they they uh you know didn't do that so uh they had no idea what was going on but finally they you know they just got to the point where they just kind of had to accept it and go with it that's wild so what like there wasn't really like a course or anything. Like, how did you figure it out? And how did you know how to put money to it? Like most people in business, I think, struggle with monetizing the talent that they have. But you were able to put it together. You said 13 and 14. Come on, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, for me, like one of the biggest things that biggest areas that I learned in uh, really were message boards. Um, you know, we didn't really have a lot of the social media networks back then, but there were message boards. So like one in particular was like a web hosting message board where people, you know, in the industry would go and talk about things. And there were, I, I really think that in all honesty, like I think that the the message boards and things that we had back then had better quality content and discussions because with social media now, there's so much out there and it's just kind of uh 
sometimes like finding information is kind of a challenge, even though it's there because there's so much noise, you know, and back then it was a much more intentional thing. And like, for me, I saw other people having success doing things. And I thought, you know, if I can do something like that and just do something about it a little bit better, then I can make it work. And at the same time, I think that in a way, like being uh, a teenager, I mean, first of all, most of the people that I was doing business with had no idea that I was a teenager at the time, you know, but uh, they were happy with the work they they got and, you know, the web hosting they got. So they didn't really care. But um, I think that there was a benefit to it. You know, if I failed in it, I was not, you know, I mean, I, I live with my parents. I mean, so I was a teenager. I didn't have any bills, you know, except uh, stuff that was related really, you know, to, uh, you know, my business ventures. Wait, so how'd you get like the computer? Because to host it, like you got to have the computer. It's got to be a big one so that everything can come into it. Like, how'd you have the right? So, so like the, for the web hosting? Yeah. So I actually started out with a reseller account. You know, there were some web hosting companies back then and, you know, they offered reseller programs where you could basically buy like a partition of space on their server, you know, that were in data centers. So the servers, you know, definitely weren't in my house or anything. You know, they, I started out as a reseller and then once I got uh, a decent number of clients on it, I leased my own dedicated server in a, uh, data center and just kind of went from there. Wow. So you're a marketer at heart then. I'm definitely a marketer at heart. I'm a marketer and I really love uh, looking at the creative ways to market. And, you know, so many people will sometimes will run into an issue and they're kind of like, I don't know how to get business or, you know, they're, doing something that they need to get the word about out and they don't know how. And I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, trying to find creative ways to do things because usually those are the little pockets where there's not much competition. You know, even now today, you know, like there are so many people that it's like, well, I just need to run Facebook ads for my service. And it's, I, and I have an agency that, uh, manages marketing on many different platforms, but we actually don't focus on Facebook a lot, even though a lot of people come in and they want Facebook ads. And, you know, it's just like, that's one way to market. You know, there are many other ways. There are other ad networks, obviously Google, YouTube, native ad networks, programmatic, all of the cool technology that I love to play with. But there's also for some people, they overcomplicate it. And it could be that if you have like a skill or, you know, talent or something that other people find valuable, you could kick off your business just by speaking at like the local chamber of commerce or any kind of group really. And just, just kind of offer value, you know, educate people a little bit, give them your tips and tricks. You know, it could be, you know, you may love to uh, you know, declutter and organize. So start talking about that, you know, start posting about it. Don't worry about quote unquote, you know, creating content, 
just talk about it and post about it and, you know, share it wherever you are, you know, whether that's in groups, uh, on your social media, anywhere, and you're creating content, you just don't realize it. And you also don't get caught up in the, I'm creating content, so I'm going to make it 10 times harder because I'm overthinking it. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, simplicity wins. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. How do you go from running your own, like reselling, then you got your your leasing place where you got people sign up for your server. Checks are coming in. Your parents want to know if you're into something dark, but you're just smiling and saying, oh, it's just computer. Don't worry about it. But then you like go to HostGator or something like that. Yeah. So so what happened is, you know, I finished finish high school, you know, and uh, as soon as I finished high school, you know, I moved the day of graduation. I actually moved my first apartment, which was it's still in West Virginia. It was just in another part of the state that was a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a city, you know, still very small, but, um, you know, I moved, moved there and I was super excited because whenever I was doing all of this at home, where my parents lived was such a rural area that they didn't have broadband available there at the time. So I had dial up, you couldn't get cable or DSL. It just wasn't available. And so uh, whenever I got my first apartment, you know, I had, I could get cable and DSL, you know, because there was broadband there. So that was a big jump, but I moved to my own apartment and just kind of continued on, but I did want to explore life outside of West Virginia. So I actually kind of took what I had built, you know, in terms of hosting, which was, you know, it, it, I mean, it was definitely, you know, it could have been a full-time living, but it was something that was still relatively small, you know, in comparison to what I wanted to, to do. So I actually uh, moved to upstate New York and kind of folded my hosting clients into a larger hosting company that had been established a little bit longer. And uh, I was 18 or 19 at the time. And uh, I took a job as VP of uh, business development and that later turned into VP of operations. Uh, that was not HostGator, but um, it just kind of like gave me more exposure in the industry, you know, and so because it was a larger company. That was one of the things that didn't really work out too well there. The, you know, it was something that the owner of that company and I just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And we went through probably a year or two of where I was being paid a high enough salary that I would tolerate it. And he was, uh, he knew what I was able to do and I was able to do uh, enough for them that he kind of tolerated me. We just had different, different views on things. Whoa. So going back to, you know, the whole message boards and everything still then, uh, you know, I had met the, uh, founder and owner of HostGator, uh, Brent, um, on a message board. And we talked, you know, I was kind of frustrated with how things were going in New York. And he had started HostGator from his dorm room. It was starting to take off. He said, uh, hey, do you want to move down from 
uh, upstate New York to Florida and helped me with HostGator and uh, moved down, uh, you know, became, uh, you know, helped a lot with operations. So, you know, I was, uh, I think, technically the first COO in the very beginning. And then HostGator grew, you know, massively. and we very quickly, we were only in Florida. I had just moved down there and we kind of got settled in. And then, uh, you know, we all kind of decided that we needed to move again and move the whole company to somewhere else that we could hire easier and the cost of living was lower because this was still at the kind of the high end of the real estate market for Florida. So we moved to Houston mainly because of the, you know, Texas has low taxes. There's um, a huge workforce and the cost of living was low. So, you know, all of our employees could afford to, you know, buy a home there and, you know, just have a better quality of life than in South Florida. One thing to, you know, kind of keep in mind with this, because that's obviously a big jump to go to HostGator. It was in the very early days and the founder of HostGator was only three years older than me. So, you know, it was not like me going into like a company that, you know, had like all the structure and board and stuff like I actually put in a lot of the, you know, a lot of the structure as we started growing because uh, the founder and owner was just like focused on the service and really, you know, making sure that the service levels were super high. And, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, filing, dealing with all the like entity stuff and hiring the first CFO and the first, you know, HR department and all of that. And it was a lot of fun. And at the same time, he uh, invested in a company because he knew I was very entrepreneurial. He, he wanted to do something else as well. He didn't, you know, he, HostGator was growing really well, but you know, at the time he, he didn't really have any other investments because he was investing all of his money back into HostGator and, you know, investing and just growing the company. And so he said, you know, he convinced me to start another company on my own and he wanted to invest in it. So he said, Hey, can you just go start another company? You can still be involved with HostGator, you know, as little or as much as you want and have time for it, but go start another company I want to invest in it. I'll give you all the money you need for it. And I want a minority stake. So that was uh, a fun time. So I started a voice over IP company because I loved the recurring income from web hosting. But we we felt that phone service and voice is something that everybody needs, even consumers. So it's a broader base than web hosting. And so I started uh, VoIPO, V-O-I-P-O, uh, back in 2006 while I was still at HostGator. And uh, we spent, uh, you know, about two years or so developing it and building out the network. This was actually before the iPhone existed, before uh, VoIP was really even a popular thing. Vonage was the only really competitor that, you know, was out there at the time. But because of our background in, in hosting, uh, you know, that helped a lot with being able to know about the infrastructure needs and things like that. 
So I built Voipo and uh, once Voipo took off, you know, I kind of transitioned into it. And, you know, I was still kind of a behind the scenes advisor for HostGator, helped out with, uh, you know, strategic kind of stuff. But I started focusing on Voipo and growing it. And I actually still have Voipo today. uh, I did buy out, uh, you know, his share eventually. But so I have 100% of it now. And uh, Voipo, uh, like I said, you know, is a voice for IP phone service. We do home phone service, residential and business service, texting, messaging, voice, all that. And so it's 14 years old and I still run it today. So tell me a little bit more about that, man, because you have no problem getting them to the monetization. How'd you sell it? Like it was a new deal. How'd you get the adoption and get to the point where, you know, it would pay for you and whoever else is on staff there? Yeah. I mean, it was really looking at breaking things down and looking at uh, what is going to drive people to buy. And like, what are people looking for and kind of the psychology and, you know, what are the problems that they have with traditional phone service? You know, so some of those, uh, for example, would be cost savings, you know, because you could have like a landline, especially back then, you know, where you were paying, you know, $50 a month easily to have a, you know, a home phone. And again, this was before uh, cell phones were even 3G didn't even exist, let alone 4G or 5G, you know, so home phones were very common still then. And, you know, even today, there's a huge, huge segment of people that still have traditional landlines. It's tens of millions of people. But we looked at it. So cost was a big one because we didn't have to build a network that had wiring going into homes. And we uh, utilize the Internet. That's a huge cost savings. So basically where all of our servers are located, which um are in a uh data center facility in dallas um that's uh owned by ibm now we uh tie into the phone network there in a centralized spot and then uh for all of our customers that use service we if they have like regular home phones we send them an adapter and they just connect that to their router or modem and just it's just like a phone jack they plug their phones into it you know, and they use them just like traditional phones. Whenever they make a call, it goes through that adapter, converts it to internet packets, and it goes to our data center in Dallas. And uh, from there out to the phone network. And when a phone call comes in, you know, it's the same thing. So we're able to offer a much lower price. So like right now, you know, as an example, I mean, you can get unlimited calling for, and, you know, the whole line you know so you get all the features caller id call waiting transfer online voicemail all that for under seven dollars a month unlimited calling so that was a big draw you know because people could save a lot of money both for residential and business and go from you know like 40 to 50 down to seven so that was a big one the second one was uh looking at situations like where where we could do something different again like 
So one big example is just the features and functionality. Since we built our platform in a way like it's, we're really a cloud company, you know, like kind of a SaaS uh, type company in that uh, we have software in the cloud that we've built that runs all of this. So even if you're using your home phone, you have like a, an online control panel where you can manage all your features. And so we were able to create some cool features that people didn't have on like their traditional phones. You know, like you could uh, do custom routing where, you know, if you have like an ex that calls you, you could have it just not even ring your phone and just automatically forward them to another number or forward them to a pre-recorded message or set up a schedule where everybody went to voicemail unless they were on your VIP list, then they would ring through. Um, and just little things like that that make life easier or make uh, things easier for business. So, you know, we just, we found those little, little pockets there of things that we could do. And I was very transparent with people, you know, and very, we, we uh, interacted a lot on, you know, message boards, industry groups and things. And, you know, it was kind of a situation where, we just really, in the beginning, especially as we were building things, we were able to take a lot of customer feedback and just implement it, you know? And so it was really cool because people would have uh, uh, a feature request, you know, like, would it be possible to do to do this? Then, you know, we were able to, to do it because, you know, we, uh, you know, we wrote the code. So uh, we built that, you know, and, uh, you know, got tens of thousands of subscribers really just from that. And then uh, another another big one is international calling, you know, for people that make international calls, you know, have family overseas or uh, whatever the case is on traditional landline service, cable, cable uh, phone service and cell phone service, international calling rates, even now they're still fairly expensive unless you have like some kind of add-on plan or something. Uh, we actually, again, since we're able to utilize the internet and connect to the other phone networks through the internet, we could offer extremely low calling rates for international calls. So we knew that there was a huge, huge there, especially some of the big countries like say like China, India, you know, and some of those countries, there were a lot of people in the U.S. that, you know, maybe they call there a lot, but it was just expensive. So we were able to offer that. In most of those places, we got down to a penny or under per minute, and some of them even included in the uh, plan. So that was another big area. So it's just finding those little little areas that you can basically that you can improve or add more more value or save money and. That's, you know, that's kind of what we did. And we just kind of took a, we took a slow and steady approach. I mean, we've had many acquisition offers. Uh, we've had the opportunity to get, uh, you know, outside funding, things like that. But we just have always uh, kept things organic, have like slow and steady growth because I don't want any outside pressure to run the company in a certain way. You know, like, because if you have investors, then it's like, you still may be running the company and technically you have freedom to run the company 
as you see fit, but you have to do it in a way that will generate a certain return for your investors, or it turns into almost, even though you own the company, it's, it is a job at that point because you have to keep your investors, your lenders happy, you know? And so we've avoided that. And so that means a little bit slower growth, but it works. And I think customers really appreciate that and appreciate that we're able to be super nimble and super flexible, you know, with the way that we approach things. Got you. So it sounds like a lot of stuff has worked along the way. Were there any challenges that you had to overcome on your journey? All the time. Yeah. You know, I always say that, you know, in business, there's, uh, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows, you know, and one of the biggest things that's really helped me over the years is uh, just really, truly accepting that and knowing that even when bad things happen or things are not going the way that they were planned, and we've had many of those over the years, there's always something you can learn from and things will generally turn out for the better you know, everything's temporary. So, you know, you're going through something, you'll get over it. And honestly, the biggest thing really was when things clicked so that I stopped worrying all the time and being stressed out all the time about what if something happens? What, when is something going to happen? You know, all these crazy scenarios that go through our heads was whenever I figured out that even if, something very, very bad happened. And I lost everything. You know, I lost my businesses, I lost my savings, I lost investments and had to start completely over. I felt that I was confident that I could rebuild something. You know, it's not going to be an instant thing, but it's something that, you know, I, I, I knew I could rebuild. So like, as an example for us, you know, we, with Voipo, we went through some situations uh, over the years. We've had patent lawsuits from what are called patent trolls. (laughs) And that's essentially like where someone, usually an investor group, will buy like an old obscure idle patent that is like about to expire. And then they just literally file like 500 lawsuits in a day, you know, suing different companies for it because the way the system works, it's up to you to prove that you're not violating that patent. And they're so vague. Even though they're vague, they may a patent may be 80 pages long. And so we had one for uh, displaying audio in a visual way for voicemail because we offered voicemail online, you know, and so stuff like that. But, you know, I was able to work through all those situations and deal with it. Uh, another one, you know, we've had a key, you know, key employee that uh, had some issues come up and had to leave the company. and one period caused a lot of outages and ups and downs because, you know, he was kind of in a way sabotaging and attacking the company. And from a technical side, uh, we've had hacker groups target the company, you know, and so I take things very personally. And so for me, some of the hardest times are when we have an outage or something that impacts our customers because, you know, I, I can't always fix that immediately. You know, it's something that sometimes like, you know, I have, it takes a little bit of time and uh, I just try to be as transparent as I can about it. Most customers understand, but you know, they're especially, it seems like over the last few years, there are a lot of angry people, 
you know, and some people, especially with phone companies, uh, you know, because people just have this, this thing about phone companies where, you know, they are so used to really bad service and customer service and that they're going to get transferred around 10 times and, you know, all that. So whenever they call, if they have a reason to call or email, they uh, are pretty much already in the mood to argue. And, you know, sometimes it's funny because we'll have someone that comes in and we just like take care of like whatever they're asking. Like maybe it's like waving a late fee or something and we're like, it's taken care of. And then they're just like still waiting to start arguing about it. And, you know, and it's just like, what else can we help you with? You know? So yeah, the challenges have come up. Um, but I think that one of the things that is also really important is to know and understand that everybody in business has challenges. Everybody in business has issues that come up, uh, failures sometime. Even the best run companies in the world have issues. You just don't see them. And a lot of times people don't talk about it. And I think that one of the things with that is like, people would really be amazed that if you're in a, you know, a, a situation uh, you would be amazed at like, if you are open and honest with your vendors, your suppliers, your customers, or anyone involved, you'd be amazed at most of the time they're willing to go above and beyond to help you figure out a solution, you know, and a lot of people don't think that, and, you know, and especially with COVID, you know, I know so many people and, you know, we've uh, all been impacted in some ways, you know, for the most part, you know, I've found that uh, vendors are willing to, uh, you know, extend payment terms or offer like a month of free rent if you have a commercial space, just different things like that, almost in some cases without even asking. People that are entrepreneurs are generally not that judgmental about things like that because they know it's just part of the game. Now, if you're talking to someone that's not an entrepreneur, you know, and, or they're not, uh, you know, familiar with being an entrepreneur, maybe they're just like strictly, they've had a corporate job, then they may look at that differently because they're thinking, I'm going to get in trouble for something if my boss finds out. You know, but whenever you're talking to other entrepreneurs, they're generally going to rally around you and try to help, you know, and so I think that's a big one. And, you know, mental health for entrepreneurs is such a big thing now, you know, because I think we all have uh, have stuff. So, you know, if if uh, anyone, you know, has issues in their business and, you know, there have been times like where, you know, I've had issues with, uh, you know, anxiety and depression and everything. And it's it appears that everything is like working perfectly and like you just everything's magic but on the inside you know you you may be seeing a diff something different so i you know i always encourage people to really uh just know that it's okay to to get help and you know from peers or companies you do business with or even in groups like this you know the net like we're you know we're here at potmax today you know there are a lot of great people here and most people are uh, very open to trying to empower others and, you know, help out in any way that they can. Yeah. 
I appreciate you saying that. I think that honesty and transparency is super important in order to both protect your brand and get to the best solution possible for everybody. So we're coming down to the close of the show. I've got three questions for you. And uh, I think these will give the listeners a, a pretty deep insight into who you really are and what you're about. And so the first one is, what are you most grateful for? Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of a deep a deep question. But I think um, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is just the opportunities that I've had and that I've been able to capitalize on over the years. I think that's huge. Um, and you've certainly done that in ways that I haven't seen many people do before. The next is what dream are you most focused on catching next? Um, I've, I've been doing more and more consulting and, you know, I do some small scale angel investing lately. And I think that one of the most fulfilling things lately is uh, really just inspiring other entrepreneurs, helping them solve problems and uh, lifting others up and letting them know that, you know, building a business uh, is something that's achievable for pretty much anyone. You know, I mean, it's, it's something that so many people think they can't, uh, can't do it, but you can. And then what gift are you giving the world to? What gift am I giving the world? You know, I, it's hard to narrow that. I mean, I think that uh, for me, like I just really try to always in every situation that I'm in to always uh, show up in a positive way, make things a win-win for everybody and just really be empathetic in everything that I do try to generally be a good guy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the gift of empathy, which I think is amazing. Yeah. I think we need more of that in the world. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, because if you can understand and, you know, see things from the other person's point of view, uh, that changes the dynamics of almost any situation. Beautiful. Coming from a place of common ground. And so, Tim, the final question is, what's the one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode of the Dreamcatchers podcast? Um, I would say for anyone that maybe is, you know, looking to start a business, looking to make a transition, you know, whether they're in corporate or they um, just have, you know, kind of uh, a dream or goal, you know, just just go for it, you know, and you know, limit, I'm not saying like jump all in immediately, but, uh, but I'm just saying take steps to, to get there, break it down into manageable steps and just go for it because failure is unlikely, but if it happens, it's not the end of the world. You just change something, learn from it and take your changes and try again. You know, it's, so I would say just, you know, anyone can can have a business that uh, fulfills them. You know, it's just a matter of taking the leap, doing it and just making changes and uh, learning from any mistakes that come up and continuing to, to do that over and over until you succeed. Awesome, Tim. Thank you for being so generous with your time. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.